removing the middleman. So the middleman, all these big warehouses that have been making money hand over fist, uh, and quite frankly, even through the the pandemic, they've they've made money hand over fist because they've been giving all this money to loan out that they're not loaning out, and and they're keeping that money for the the day rates and and making tons of money off of this money that's supposed to be going to to the average person and, and not. Um, they're trying to figure out ways to make money and and they haven't figured out a good way to do that in in the tokenized space okay joey welcome to the podcast how you doing i'm good thank you so you're filling in uh for your co-founder gary um who came in today it's really interesting that you're uh you know you're, you're dialing in here from texas when and he's from the uk I love this. You know, you're uh, pretty much an internationally run, uh, decentralized startup. Um, I feel like there's uh, there's a lot of nuance we can learn about. You know how how you guys met, how you guys operate. You know, because uh, me, and my co-founder, we live like you know a couple of blocks away, and during the pandemic, uh, you know, it's been difficult because we guys are so used to working together, right, in, in person, and we had to shift our mentality and and, and work right. in like a virtual way and. Even then, like if you wanted to, you can always pop over and like physically see each other, right? If you really wanted to. Uh, but with but with uh, you guys, you know, I, I think there's a great story there. So first of all, I'd love to get an intro about uh, your project and what you're working on. So give, can you give us an intro? Sure. So CurveBlock is working to democratize access uh, to green real estate development as an asset class. Um, my background is as a rich investment advisor here in the U.S. I owned an investment advisory firm for a lot of years and I sold that firm a, a number of years ago and, and started doing more general consulting. Uh, I got interested in the, the blockchain space uh, when consulting with a client and, and looking at the blockchain more from a security perspective to, to secure data. Um, and then then started looking at the, the token side and, and understanding from a registered investment advisory background that there was no way uh, regulatory wise that was going to fly there was just too much too many problems um, but I also saw the potential that, that that was a needed thing in the financial markets we we need to, to innovate in the markets the markets have been dominated and controlled by the big warehouses for for years and and that keeps the little guy the average guys like us from being able to participate at any real significant level um, so I started talking about security tokens and the need for security tokens and working within the regulatory framework uh, in in a tokenized space and and that's how gary and i met um, back in the beginning of of 2018 and um through through linkedin through some of the things that i was writing talking about regulations and the need for regulations that's not a real popular topic within the the crypto space um and and i don't necessarily say that we're in the crypto space, we're, we're tokenizing assets. Um, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that the securities are already digital. Um, when you buy a share of Coca-Cola or, or Adidas or whatever it may be, you're getting a digital representation of that share. And, and there's only one company in the world that digitizes those shares, which most people don't realize. Um, so what tokenizing the share ourselves does is it takes the middleman out. And it, and it allows for a retail investor, average folks, to be able to participate. And so that's what we're doing is creating a closed fund 
that we're selling digital shares of to allow regular people to invest and, and be able to participate in real estate development, which has been an asset class that has been uh, exclusive of, of retail investors uh, forever. Uh, it's the number one place that wealth generation has been created is, is through real estate development uh, and the number one place that people have been excluded from participating in. Gotcha. So um, I've been following like the, this token industry for uh, um, quite a bit, right? Like, uh, especially when it comes to the real estate uh, and and with construction, like there's a, there's a construction itself, like as Mark Anderson said, software, as software eats the world. When the construction space alone, it, it's like a, almost a trillion dollar market where there's so much things that need to be automated away and uh, and made more uh, efficient um, just without automation and, and technology. But um, with what you're talking about is also is um, the investment side of things, right? Right. One of the I think one of the greatest uh, um, uh, protections that also uh, you know prevents uh, everyday people from participating in the, in the wealth game is uh, the idea of like the idea of like uh, uh, the idea of registered investors, right? Like the secure investors, right? So. Uh, if only you meet a certain criteria, I believe in the United States, it's like if you make $300,000 or more or if you have $3 million or more in assets, uh, you're qual qualified as a, as a professional investor and you're allowed to participate in, in certain levels of investments. Right. You can, uh, you know, you can you can you, you can first of all, you know, uh, participate in these larger funds, venture capital, all those kind of things. You can you can uh, you can actually uh, make make more riskier investments, but that's where the majority of returns come from, right? Like, if you see some of these funds, they make like twenty percent rate returns, thirty percent rate returns. Uh, you know, regular regular people don't see those kind of rates unless it's like a credit card, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> where they're being charged and not earning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The numbers are a little lower than that in the U.S. It's it's a million dollars of net assets or two hundred thousand a year for the last two years to be gotcha. a registered uh, investor but um but that number's been the same since 1952 so that that's when the rule was put in place and in 1952 that meant you had to have a lot of money but somehow in in the wisdom of of the regulators they thought that putting that rule in place it, it really was designed only to protect people from losses mm -hmm. um but somehow that also implied that you had some amount of knowledge of investing just because you had this money and, and that certainly isn't true yeah um the SEC is is kicking around the idea of, of giving some kind of, of test that you can take and, and, and validate that, that you are knowledgeable. Up until um, last year, even being a registered investment advisor and holding seven different federal licenses, I still wasn't qualified uh, as an accredited investor unless I had those financial assets. I had to still be making 200000 a year. I still had to to have a million dollars in, in net worth um, exclusive of your primary residence in order to qualify as a credit investor, even though I was the one teaching these people about how to invest. And, and I had taken all these tests and did all this stuff. Now that just changed. So in, in, as, of, uh, as of 2020, that rule changed. And now um, people that are selling it can be considered accredited investors, but that doesn't help the average investor. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I agree that people should have knowledge of what they invest in. Um, but that's a personal responsibility, not a government responsibility. Um, and, and somehow the government thinks that they're responsible for that. I, I don't think they should be, but mm -hmm. that's neither here nor there. That, that's what the rules are. And that's not just the U.S. That's pretty much everywhere around the world. Um, in the U.S., we call them accredited investors. In the U.K., we call them sophisticated investors. 
um, but, but it's all basically the same. Um, the UK has one advantage that they will let you self-certify. Um, so you can say, I'm not a, a sophisticated investor, but I'm also not going to invest more than 10% of my net worth. And then you can participate in some things uh, that, that we can't participate in here in the US. Um, we don't want you to even have to do that. We, we want you to, to be able to participate no matter what. And so that, that's the challenge is, is just trying to get that out there so that, that regular people can, can invest. Um, and and that's, the, that's the first hurdle. The second hurdle is that we're doing that investing is then all um, carbon zero energy positive residential developments. So that that's the second piece of the of the of the puzzle that we're putting in there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, talking about this, like especially with democratizing um, investing, like this is one of the, the promises of crypto, right? It's DeFi, the decentralized right. uh, financial system that's uh, coming. That's coming, right? Um, with the centralized financial system that we currently operate in. You get a lot of bailouts. You get a lot of artificial movements in the marketplace, right? Where companies that are, you know, uh, should be going under are propped up and kept over. I mean, look at during COVID, right? Like trillions of dollars worth of capital. I think capital. That's most of our market right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> trillions of dollars of, um, of capital have been entering into the stock market, you know, to to keep these stocks uh, more than afloat. Uh, but you know what it does is it, it props up the, the investor class, right? People who can afford the twenty percent of the population who can, uh, you know, who actually owns stocks, who owns assets, are being propped up artificially, and everyone else is kind of left to their devices. So, you know, with, with crypto, how does that like or or or, or security tokens and uh, tokenization? How do you see it as like a way to democratize investing and to allow more people to access the uh, access wealth um, wealth options? No, I, I still see it. it. It doesn't. The big change, because it's really the same as what we're doing right now. The difference being that we're removing the middleman, so we're removing the wirehouse, mm. and, and that's why we've seen so much pushback. That's why we see uh, Jamie Dimon saying, "You know, this is terrible. This is this is a, a tantamount to getting in bed with Satan. Uh, you shouldn't be doing this in, until the day that they announce that they're doing their own coin, and then it's the greatest thing since sliced bread." Of course, um, it, that's the way they always do it, right? Um, you know, the, we're removing the middleman. So the middleman, all these big warehouses that have been making money hand over fist, uh, and quite frankly, even through the the pandemic, they've they've made money hand over fist because they've been given all this money to loan out that they're not loaning out, and and they're keeping that money for the the day rates and, and making tons of money off of this money that's supposed to be going to to the average person and, and not. Um, they're trying to figure out ways to make money and, mm-hmm. and they haven't figured out a good way to do that in, in the tokenized space yet uh, because it's peer to peer. So I, I sell directly to you. I don't need anybody in the middle. Uh, you don't need anybody in the middle. The trust is created by, by the code that's there, by the algorithm that mm. verifies that I'm me and you're you. And, and we agree from algorithm basis and we exchange uh, assets uh, and, and it's easy and done and it's quick. It's, you know, it, you look at just that something as simple as, is I want to send money to your bank account. Well, why does it take a day or two days to get there? It shouldn't. It's transmitted immediately. The reason it takes that long is because they're holding that money and making that day rate that they're getting paid by the Fed for holding this money. And yeah. they're making interest on this exchange while you're waiting to get it. And I don't have it anymore either. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous what, what we're still doing in our financial market. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, when I when I think about uh, crypto, right, I, I always look at the 
uh, look at the numbers. Like uh, Dogecoin is up fourteen thousand percent year to date. Thank, thank you, and Elon I, Musk. Exactly right. And I thought, and I said back calculating. I'm like, oh man, if I only put like five hundred dollars in this last year or two years ago, three years ago, like how much would I have made? Right. Like the crypto market is it's so full of FOMO. Right. It's like I, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. And like you know, people only see it during the upticks. Right. What do you what do you see the power of uh, crypto and tokenization, especially with what you're doing? Um, where's the value at? The, the real power to me in, in tokenization is in real world use cases. You know, you talk about a Doge coin or, or many of the other things that are out there. there. There's not real world use for any of those things. Um, it's, it's just the little guy trying to, to make a big money on, on little money and, and trying to figure out a way to do it. But there's not a real use case. So for, for us, we're trying to create a real world use case. So we're, we're not changing the, the world or anything. We are just changing the model, not, not how it's done. So closed end evergreen funds have been around forever. Um, most closed end evergreens funds have been available only to private investors and, and to accredited investors. So they're the only ones that can make money from that. When we digitize it and we can go peer to peer, then, then we can let the little guy in. Now, the challenge for us is, is meeting all the regulatory requirements to be able to do that and, and making sure we've jumped all the hurdles. And, and that's the part that I've, I've spent two years working on. And, and we've got that pretty well figured out um, because no one's creating new regulation. So it's, it's how do we make this new technology fit into the old regulation? Um, there are a few places around the world that are doing that. The, the U.S. isn't there yet. Um, the UK is trying a, a little bit, but, but the UK typically takes a wait and see approach uh, more than than a let's get out and be a be a, 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 a blaze a trail kind of people. Um, they're they're waiting to see what everybody else does, which is typically the SEC, and the SEC is dragging their feet. So mm-hmm. um, they've done a few things though. Um, they just came out with a law that that kind of helps d- define um, who owns what. That that's happening. Some um, the, Germany just came out and said that that large institutional investors can hold up to 20% of their assets in, in digital shares, which is huge. Um, we, we see a lot of movement going in the right direction. We see a, a lot of institutional investors investing in, in Bitcoin over the, the course of the last six months to a year. Um, I don't think, personally, I don't think Bitcoin is, is the answer. I think Bitcoin was just the front runner, um, but it, it's not a bad place to invest. I don't think you should put all your money there. It's certain. Uh, any good investment, you're not going to put all your money in one one basket, but um, it's certainly been a good one so far. I mean, it, for those that got on board early to see it at a price of fifty four, fifty five thousand a a token now um, is is pretty crazy uh, compared to having bought it, you know, thirteen cents or or a dollar. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't get in that early, um, so I, I didn't I didn't get to ride that wave, but um, I. I now, my crypto investments have have more than quadrupled um, from what I put into what they're worth. So that, that's always good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, um, so this new system, this decentralized system is coming to play, right? And, uh, you know, you're talking about real world um, use cases in real estate. There's been so many experiments that run on, like, how do we use this in real world, right? Whether yeah. you're using crypto to buy and sell property or uh, you know, creating tokenizing properties um, so people can have like multiple people can own one property, right? There was like a, a condo project that's done where instead of buying um, units in a condo, you buy units in the entire building, 
and whatever rent the entire building makes, whoever owns the crypto asset will will make a fraction of. So if you own ten units, other person owned hundred units, whatever the entire building makes, it's fractionally out, fractionally right. given out. Uh, there's also been experiments in NFTs, right? Like NFT has deeds. So when you buy and sell properties, you can make, you know, you can you can sell the property as an NFT, where it's like a digital as a digital token that represents a property. What 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 excites you at uh, the the real estate potential uh, of of and property potential of of working with like real like you know the the hard assets uh, and uh, mixing that with crypto? Yeah, some of the challenges that we face right now is is the legalities of who owns what, and and until. Now, that's one of the things that, that they're trying to establish and that the UK was just recently talking about is trying to get that established. And, and Wyoming is working on trying to get that established. But in, until there's there, there's ruling that says that if you own a token, then, then that is a contract and, and you own it. Uh, while that seems pretty simple to those of us who understand how this works, um, it, it's not simple to the legal space, apparently. And so there's still... Uh, a problem with it if you and I own shares of, of this apartment building well we we own tokens in it but whoever actually owns it on paper still is the one that owns it on paper and if they go and sell it then, then you and I have to go after them personally and there's there's some legal complications at this point to be able to validate that ownership and until that's ironed out actually buying a, a, a token in a, in a real-world asset um, like that is a bit challenging because we don't have uh, the legal legs to stand on to go after that if, if someone is a bad actor, um, when, which is why we chose to digitize a fund of the a fund as opposed to digitizing the actual asset. So when you digitize the fund, there is a legal framework for that. Now I own a share of that fund. That share is defensible if, if there is a problem. They, they own that share, and there's no question about that. So we don't have to worry about the legal framework within the fund structure. Um, I, I think we'll overcome that that legal framework eventually, and, and so that we won't have to have that concern. But right now, uh, if you have to go to court and, and defend yourself and, and try to get your money back, there's just it's not really legally defensible at this point, and so that's a problem for me. Um, I think there's some great opportunity there, mm. but but. Before I'm going to invest in it, the legal framework needs to be in place so that I can protect my, my asset, and, and that doesn't exist yet. So that's why we chose to go the fund route. We also chose to go the fund route, though, because obviously, as, as uh, you've alluded to it a little bit, but we haven't talked directly about it, and that's that the most retail investors are, are fairly limited in their knowledge of investing, right? If, uh, if there is something called crowdfunding that people can do today, and you can go on to crowdfunding websites and 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 invest in real estate projects. The, the problem from our perspective with those is that one, as, a, as an investor, you have to be knowledgeable enough to do your own due diligence and figure out which one do I invest, invest in and which one do I not invest in. And then it's a challenge to get a diversified portfolio because you're investing in one at a time. And then there's a problem that you actually are a lender and not a participant in the growth of that development. And, and that's what we're trying to get away from. The real money's made in the growth of the development, right? Buying a piece of land and building it out and selling it. That's where the money's made. And, and most crowdfunding doesn't offer that opportunity. So that's why we're doing that. So we get the funds so that people can defend and, and actually know that they own that share. But then they can have a diversified portfolio of investments and not just one-offs. 
and then they don't have to have the responsibility of figuring out, well, this is a good one and this is not, and, and all that, because that's what we're professionals in doing. We figure all that out, put it in a portfolio like a mutual fund, and, and they buy that whole portfolio and then and thereby have a diversified investment, even with the, whatever amount they're putting in, and we'll take as little as 10 pounds. Um, in the U.S. Said right now, that's about 15 bucks because um, the exchange rate's pretty high right now. Um, but still, less than 20 bucks, you can you can invest in uh, in a share of this this company and and be able to to start creating passive income. So how does that work? Uh, so uh, a, a bunch of people pull their capital together into this fund, or you buy a piece of this fund. This fund then goes out and funds uh, real estate projects. Correct. Now, do people who invest have a say in what projects to support? Um, the, at this point, they don't have a say in what projects are going out there. We we um, it, we do intend to once we have a bigger community, um, put some projects out there and say we're looking at these two projects. Here's the numbers. Which one which one looks best to you? And, and give some people some voting rights in that regard. Uh, right now, we're doing all of that. So until we build the fund large enough, we're still a startup, of course. So until we build the fund large enough, we're doing a lot of what we're doing uh, in traditional format, where you're just going to the the bank and. and you have investors and you're doing joint ventures and all that kind of stuff that you do in real estate uh, to build the portfolio. Our portfolio right now is, a, is about 113 uh, million pounds mm. um, or $150 million worth is, is our current portfolio size. Uh, and that's growing. We're working on that every day, trying to add new projects to the, to the pipeline. Um, but eventually we will have the community vote on different projects that are coming in. And we have a standard analysis format that we share with everyone saying, Here, here's, here's what it looks like. Here's, here's what the purchase cost is. Here's what it's going to cost to build it out. All those, all those different numbers um, and, and try to start educating some people on, on how to do that and how to uh, analyze it and evaluate it and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's part of what we're doing. It, you know, there's uh, one of the ways that we're going to, to attract new investors is by giving away free information. You know, there's there's a number of people that we've probably all seen on TV that are trying to sell these real estate courses for for thousands of dollars or thousands of pounds and um, uh, I don't know if you've ever invested in one I did years ago I invested in one and they're, and they're worthless they just take a thousand fifteen hundred two thousand bucks and you get nothing uh, other than somebody talking a lot and doesn't really do much for you uh, we're gonna give away information for free here's here's how we build here's what we're doing um, here, here's how to analyze the the project here, here's the numbers that we look at and why we look at what we look at and, and just educate people. Many people won't care about that. Some people will. And, and you know, we're, we want to bring everybody in and, and help people learn. And then how to create passive income. I mean, you know, we don't talk enough about passive income, but all of us should be looking for ways to create passive income, meaning that you don't have to work an hour to, to earn that money. You mm-hmm. put things in place to generate income for yourself that, that you don't have to spend hours to earn. The more passive income we can create, the better off we're all going to be. And, and so that's ultimately what, what the end result is, is that we're generating passive income from all these developments. Um, we, we give back, Curveblock gives back more of the profits than we keep. Um, 5% off the top goes to, to charity, and then we split the remaining 95%, 50-50 with the community. So we only keep 47.5%, and, and the rest goes to other people. Um, community predominantly uh, and, and that's kind of the model that we're working under we, we want to be able to, to help everyone grow and, and we feel we can do that with that that model yeah, yeah. so 
So the, the what, I, what I really find interesting about this is uh, the the barrier of entry is so low, like twenty bucks you can you can enter in, right? How do you um, you know? Uh, how do we keep track of all these things, right? Like, how much? Uh, like, uh, do you are, you are you setting up like fund one, fund two, fund three, meant for different projects, or is it like uh, it all goes in one fund? And uh, this quarter we're gonna, fu- uh, you know, uh, fund this. Next quarter we're gonna fund this. Like, is it different different funds that people are uh, funding at one particular times? Or yeah, no, it's one fund so that everybody participates. Um, the, the way Curveblock works is we do have an exchange. We the only place that we'll list our token is on our own exchange. So we're building an exchange now. Okay. Um, we and that's largely because of what we, we've talked about earlier: the manipulation that goes on in the market. Yeah. That doesn't just go on in the financial markets that we know. That goes on in the crypto markets as well. Um, and, and we want to avoid all that. We we're not trying to participate in crypto. We're using tokenization as a technology to make things easier and and, and more transparent and those kinds of things. So. Um, it, it'll be a peer-to-peer ex- exchange that people can trade on if they're if they're busy trading and they want to trade in our token. That's great. If they take it off the exchange and put it into the wallet, that's when what's when it's invested against the projects and they'll be able to participate in the return. So it'll it'll be the token holders' choice of how they do that and what they want to do. Yeah. Um, but once they're invested, then you know because of the blockchain, then we can look at block heights and see who was invested when and who was who was in that platform at that particular time and who gets to share in the dividends from those projects. Um, and until we reach, uh, you know, this first fund will grow to, to 50 million pounds. Once it, we reach 50 million pounds and, and more people want to come in, then we'll look at, at, at starting a second fund at that point. But for now, it'll just be the one fund. There will be a number of, of different uh, special purpose vehicles, SPVs or, or limited companies, if you will, that, that manage each individual project so that you, you silo all the projects so that one doesn't if you have a problem on one, it doesn't affect the rest and those kinds of things, which you always do in real estate. Um, but but it is one fund and then various projects within that fund. So let's just talk. We'll talk about um, you know um, your personally uh, how you personally invested in this, right? Like, yeah, you you talked about how um, you know you you have a history of uh, of uh, fund, managing funds and, and investments. Uh, what excited you as a project? Like, how did you and uh, you know Gary Mead? Like, how did you? How did the team come together? How did this project come to be? Like, what what led up to this point? Yeah, so so the Gary was the brainchild of this, and he was the one that came up with the general idea. Um, Gary has spent his his whole adult life in the construction business, mm-hmm. and in various aspects of construction. Our other co-founder Matt uh, also has spent his his adult life in the construction business. Um, I, I grew up in a construction family, and, and so we built subdivisions when I was a kid in, in Texas, and, and then I've been a general contractor, but that wasn't my vocation. My vocation, of course, was, was in the investment world um, until I sold that firm. So um, when I started talking about and writing on LinkedIn about security tokens and the need for, for security tokens and following regulatory compliance, um, then, then Gary and I connected on LinkedIn through that because he was interested in what I was writing about. He told me about his his project, and I said, well, from a financial perspective, this is how that would work and how we could build that. Um, and and he liked what I was talking about, and I liked what he was talking about, and we decided to, to start this company. So uh, that was in – we started talking in March of, of 2018 and, and actually incorporated in August of 2018. That's wild because, like, did you ever uh, meet up face-to-face before, um, you know, form this company? No. <laughs> so like this is like the future of of startups right like literally like people like internationally coming together around a joint problem that they care about 
and, and forming companies and, and operating that. Now, sure. uh, have you had any particular challenges being like an internationally run organization, running in different time zones? How has that been? No, that's been fine. I, um, I worked with a project that was in Australia before that in Sydney. Mm. That was challenging because that's 15 <laughs> hours different from me. Yeah. So when they're awake, I'm asleep. And when I'm, I'm awake, they're asleep. It, that was a bit challenging. Uh, the UK is only six hours different from me in central Texas. Um, so, you know, for, for them, we, we started just at noon. That was six o'clock their time, 6 p.m. Um, so I, you know, it's not that big a deal for me to start my day at, at noon their time and, and, and work through the rest of the day and, and be able to get stuff done. Um, I personally, I've been working remote since, um, since 01. So for 20 years, I, I, I decided in 01 that it didn't make any sense for me to have an office anymore. Mm. All of my agents, I had 37 agents, but they were dispersed across Texas. A number of them were, were in the town that I was in, but, um, but I expected them to be out in the field meeting with clients, not sitting in the office drinking coffee and talking. Um, so one day I was sitting in the office and it, I had a receptionist there and I had a secretary there and me, and I'm thinking, why am I paying more than I'm more than my mortgage for this office when, when nobody's here except for us. Um, and so I decided to close my office and, and just meet with people in person. And I did that. No one. So working remote is, is something I've been doing for a long time. Uh, I started using Skype when Skype was terrible. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was awful, but it, but it still was, it was technology and it was fascinating that you could even have these video conversations and not be in the same place. Um, now that technology obviously is, is really good. Um, not that we don't have challenges with it. That it's technology. We'll always have challenges, but, but it's, uh, it's improved so much. It's, it's pretty easy to do. Now, of course, prior to, to, to COVID, I, I did go to the UK and, and have meetings there and, and meet people in person. Of course, that all had to stop uh, March of last year. Yeah. So I plan on going again last summer. Well, that didn't happen. Um, and, and when I'll be able to go again, who knows? Um, it, it's still still pretty up in the air and from my perspective. Um, but, you know, technology works. It, it's, uh, it, it works well. And, and when you have a, a shared passion um, and, and a shared desire for, for outcomes, it's, it's easy to connect. And uh, technology makes it easy to do. Yeah. Uh that's really cool. That's that's really cool. That you started in '01. You know, put you really ahead of the curve, and like you figured this out before. You know, for everyone else is like the the pandemic hit, and then they're scrambling to figure out how to work and, and handle that. And uh, I love talking to people who've been working remotely previously before this because they're just running in stride. While everyone's confused, they're just taking advantage, right? Because they're like, "Oh, I already have my processes set. I know what to do. I know how to run." Everyone else is now online, so it's much easier for me, right? And it, and it gets going, right? I got busier. Mm. I got busier in the pandemic because everybody else started getting on these meetings like I was already doing. So yeah. now it was easy to meet with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The expectation of that in person was gone. And, and so it, I got busier. I had a lot more meetings than, than I was having pr prior to that happening. But that's, yeah. that's true. Yeah, people are talking about, oh, my kids are at home. It's crazy. We were homeschooling four kids when I decided to move my office to the house. So I, that's something I've already been through. <laughs> So speaking on that, right, um, um, now that you're, you know, everything's running virtually and uh, you're operating, what stage are you at? Um, are you guys launched yet? Are, are people, can, can they invest? We're at seed stage. Um, I've spent a lot of time, as I mentioned, working on the regulatory piece. So um, I, I've worked with attorneys literally around the globe to get, get that piece figured out in the best way that I could. Um, and, and we're moving forward with that. So uh, 
we've still been not marketing curve block. We, we can't market because we don't have the regulatory compliance to do so. Um, that said, people that, that find us and know of us and, and need us, uh, it's like any any IPO. You, you know, you get in early, you can get in, uh, yeah. even prior to the IPO if you, if you know the, the founders. So there are people that have invested. We, we have taken some equity investment. Um, we're still raising a little bit of money in equity, um, but that will stop before long. Because of our model, we, we don't feel like we're going to need to take equity investment for very long. Um, and we're about to the point where we're going to cut that off, but, but we're not there yet. So so we are still taking equity investments, and we do have token investors. So right now we have about 89, I guess, different investors. Um, I don't know, maybe some, it might be more than that now. I haven't looked at the numbers lately. About 74 of them are token investors, and then we have a number of angel investors that have invested in the company, and, and then one VC there in Toronto. Amazing. That's that's cool. So you know, you guys are uh, you know raising capital for uh, right now your operations and and getting set up. And then soon you're launching their tokenized service where people can invest directly in these projects. Exactly now, right, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Gary was very uh, passionate about these projects, right? More like I, I love talking uh, talking to you now because I'm getting a full picture. You're talking about the investment side, how it's going to operate. But Gary, he's super into, hey, what are the properties you can do? Like what kind of technology can the properties have? Like how can we make them lead certified? How can we make them uh, green, uh, you know, green, uh, gr- gr- uh, more um, energy efficient? Right, like, uh, can we talk a little bit about the, about the properties? What excites you Absolutely. about uh, the, the the investment potential? What are people going to be able to buy, buy into? Yeah, so as as I'm sure you know, the the building business hasn't changed in 200 years. We we build houses the exact same way today that we were doing 200 years ago. Nothing has really changed. And and um, while I don't, I, I think it's a different conversation to talk about this whole carbon issue. Um, I. Personally, I think we should be talking more about the lungs of the earth and not so much about the carbon. Um, the, the reason we have a carbon problem, from my perspective, is because we have the earth has a breathing problem, um, and not because of trees, but because of soil uh, or lack thereof. Mm. But that, that's a whole passion. It's, it's a different passion of mine uh, in, in the grass-fed livestock world and all that kind of stuff, a different deal that I, that I work in. Um, in this particular case, um, it still is an issue, so the governments around the world are trying to figure out ways to reduce their carbon emissions, of course. Um, the construction industry uh, as a whole generates about 30% of the carbon emissions globally. It's it's a big amount of carbon that's done from, uh, from buildings and, and construction and those kinds of things. Um, it's fairly easy to make a home uh, carbon zero, net zero. From, from a carbon perspective. And that's just simply remove the use of fossil fuels. Um, you know, the UK especially, they don't they don't have resources there within the country. They're, they're shipping all their oil in, which is why their gas prices are astronomical. Um, and, and they're using uh, heating oil to, to heat their homes to a large degree, which is expensive. Uh, they're using gas uh, and various things to heat homes, which is all expensive for them because it's all imported. So these homes, we're, we're just removing all fossil fuel use. Uh, so we're using uh, solar, of course, and batteries to, to store that solar and gateways to, to disconnect and connect from, uh, from the grid. Uh, the homes that we'll be building will generate more energy than they consume. Uh, so they'll be carbon positive and, and energy positive both. Uh, so not only will they not be emitting any carbons by not burning carbons, they're, they're going to be contributing back to the grid instead of taking from the grid. Um, that we're currently in talks with uh, the Canadian government that, that has, they reached out to us interested in what we were doing uh, for, for a lot of what they're trying to accomplish. 
as you're probably aware, Canada has committed to closing all five of their coal plants um, by like 2030 or something. Mm-hmm. But they don't really have a plan for, for how to replace all that. <laughs> they want to close them, but they need to do something about it. Uh, so um, they're looking at, at, at what we're doing as a way to, to really ease that, that pain, if you will, because these homes will be contributing to the grid. So they'll be creating energy for the grid, not, not consuming energy, um, which is a great way to, to participate. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. We're using um, heat pumps and various things to, to make those homes efficient. Um, and, and then we're uh, trying to reduce you know, another problem with, with construction. If you ever driven by a construction site, you see huge mounds of trash. Uh, there's just piles of it that are out there. And that's because uh, the construction industry is, is not conservative uh, with material use at all. Uh, matter of fact, they're, they're pretty irresponsible with material use, in my opinion. Um, and, and, and I don't know about the rest of the world. I know here in Texas, when, when you're managing people, you hear people say a lot, uh, there's a common saying uh, in, in, by people in the construction industry that it's, you know, not my nails, not my money, um, meaning that, you know, I'm not paying for it. So it doesn't really matter how many nails I use or how many boards I use or whether I just take a foot off of this eight foot board and throw the rest of it away. None of that matters because it's not my money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a bad attitude, but it's, it's a pretty, pretty common attitude within the construction space. So using modern methods of construction and instead of traditional building, is a way that will reduce that 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 waste. So uh, in, instead of building a wall on site, you build a wall in a factory where where you're using calculus and getting down to the nth degree of, of how you use that material and, and reducing the waste as much as possible uh, to to be efficient with that, those material usages. And, and then uh, that also helps because then you're taking out and, and putting a house together like a big puzzle and, instead of putting up a bunch of walls and need to nail it on a place. And so you know, the model home that we currently have was built in 11 hours. Um, now that wasn't the build time in the factory, but that was what it took to get it all erected and closed in and dried in um, because it comes in with the sheetrock in place, electricals in place, plumbing's in place, exterior cladding's in place, everything's there. You're just putting it all together with a, with a crane and, and your house is erected in 11 hours with the These are, are ready to go. Uh, uh, prefab gear a little different than that modular construction is a little bit different mm-hmm. than prefab um and, and that's something that's pretty interesting in the industry when you start really looking at it so uh, the u.s is a little bit different and, and canada is different than the uk um because because we had a big a mobile home and rv industry here that didn't really exist in the uk so when we think of of modular we tend to think of mobile home or we tend to think of a recreational vehicle we don't really think of a building. Um, and, and for us, a lot of times it's a whole building. So you, you have job site buildings where you take it, the whole thing and you just set it in place and it's, it's complete and closed. It's just, it's a big, like almost like a container or a mobile home, if you will. Um, these homes are a little bit different in, in that you're just building the walls and not necessarily the entire structure. Um, in the UK, that's partly because they just don't have the road width to, to do that everywhere. I mean, they'll, they'll have roads that are, you know, six meters wide or, or whatever. And, and we don't have that issue here in the U.S. and in, in, in Canada. We've, our roads are plenty big. We can, we can haul stuff around and do whatever we need to do. Um, so they will have some 3D components. Like you, you'd put your whole kitchen together or you'd put a whole bathroom together. But that's a smaller unit that can still go on a fairly narrow truck and get out to the site. Um, so you're, while the, 
you're controlling the building process. So everything is, is very exacting. Everything is, um, you know, you've got a lot of quality control, which you don't have on a job site, of course. Mm-hmm. Now, as a general contractor, one of, one of the challenges, every time you leave the job site, when you come back, somebody did something wrong. Uh, because you, you're expecting them to read the blueprints and you're expecting them to read it the same way that you do, which they should, but that doesn't always happen. They, they see things and, and they see a four instead of a six or, you know, or instead of an eight or whatever, and they cut something wrong and, and do things differently. So as a general contractor, every time you leave, something gets done wrong. When you're doing it in a factory, you don't have that concern uh, because it's all exacting. It's all done the same. You're using as much as you can. You're using automation for cutting and various things. So you're really reducing that overall cost. So we can do these modular uh, energy positive homes at, at a similar cost to a regular stick built home. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different than what we think of when we think of that. So the quality gotcha. is much higher. Uh, we're using spray foam insulation. We're using uh, really high end materials, um, but it goes to site with all the plumbing in place and you're just connecting it on site, um, like a, almost like a Lego. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I've I've heard of this uh, construction mod, um, these modules, right? These modular kind of constructions, really cool. Uh, I mean, one of the most famous ones is like um, China building a skyscraper in like right. fourteen days, right? Just like right. plugging right. in different models coming in from you know the, the plug and play uh, suites almost. And if you look at it, like the the United States really led the, the led the track on this, right? Like um, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Empire State Building, they were built within months. Right, like or weeks with the Golden Gate Bridge, like the, these these massive construction projects, like a hundred years ago, and then uh, naturally, like uh, complexities uh, get put into into construction to inflate costs, right? Because uh, you know, in, complexities uh, means like more people get money. The subcontractors make more money, the contractors make more money, the 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 builder makes more money, and now we've gone from a place where we can build you know these 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 magnificent like these huge projects in a matter of weeks in a matter of months. Now, like 100 years later, it costs like a million dollars to build a house and three years, right? Right, right? like it, it, it's insane. Like, it, like uh, in my neighborhood right now, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a phase, it's phase uh, a, a division, right? So the subdivision being built. Uh, it's a, it's a suburb outside of Toronto. It's a, it's a, it's a new, a new group of housing coming up. Like almost every five, ten years, uh, new groups is coming up in the in the area, and it's like. Why did it take three three years, four years to build these properties, right? Like, why? What are these complexities? Like, we we know if we can if we can engineer this properly, if we if we if we systemize it properly, you can get it up in a matter of weeks, right? If you really wanted to. Right. Um, so I, I think I, I think these kind of materials are really cool. But I think the real real opportunity here, especially being in, in Canada, what I think about is that one of our biggest problems is is, is the, the north and the rest of Canada. We have, like. There's a Eastern Canada and the Western Canada, and everything right. in between is kind of separated because we have the Canadian Shield, which is, um, you know, uh, pretty much bedrock, like the boreal forest built on top of bedrock, which is very hard to dig through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very hard to lay, lay down anything into the ground. But if we can make like these energy efficient modular homes, you can pop into areas, we can, uh, you know, we can, you can, you can, like, it's going to be more of a need as like our, our cities are becoming more and more. Uh, pri- people are getting priced out of cities and going right. more rural a- areas. This allows for more rural constructions, right? Where uh, you don't necessarily need, uh, g- you know, to lay the gas piping to come down, and you don't necessarily need all this stuff in. You can create these kind of like modular like communities that kind of runs like almost like their own grids or semi semi off the grid, right? right? 
do you have like what's your interest there like um are you guys are you guys prime for a certain type of uh, real estate projects which is like more the mainstream are you trying to go for more like um uh, like these like, these like more fringe kind of places or uh are you trying to like like a mixed bag approach like do you have like any kind of targets uh, uh, that you want to do yeah we have, we have different um, projects right now i mean we we are looking at it pretty much everything we're doing is is more of a development so multi-home okay doing a number of them not one-offs for the most part um but but we look at you know it comes down to numbers i mean we're looking at it, it, what is what is the cost and, and what is the potential uh, return and and you know, so for us, we're looking from from a profit perspective. We're, we're not going to look at any project we can't make at least twenty five percent on, um, and, and you know we have some that are seventy, eighty percent return. Um, it just depends on the project. So we look at everything on a project by project basis. When we were contacted by the Canadian government, their interest was really in helping Indigenous people. So they're in mm. Canada because they have a big problem, and the Canadian government apparently really supports them financially a lot, and a lot of times builds their homes and does different things and to try to support them and, and they have a challenge with that. So being able to build energy positive homes and then then offer the financial inclusion to these communities was really exciting to the Canadian government. Um, but that, that issue, you know, for Texas has never been too concerned about energy, uh, but I think that that probably all changed with this last ice age that we had down here and, and all these plants got shut down. And, and so mm -hmm. while you aren't necessarily concerned about the energy itself, the understanding that, it, that now we should really start considering the ability to be independent and to be energy independent um, is, is a pretty big conversation to be had. So if, Absolutely. if you can be energy independent and you can be a contributor instead of a consumer, why, why would you not do that? I mean, what, what would be your argument to not be a contributor instead of a consumer? Um, I can definitely see that. Problems. Yeah. I mean, Texas was so close to like the power grid going down almost completely. Um, right. And like, it would have taken like the, it would have taken years to get it back up fully. So what's the movement there? Like, um, is Texas moving towards more of a, a off-grid kind of infrastructure? Are people more interested in that now? I, 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 quite frankly, I think most people probably saw it and it was over in a couple of weeks and, and they've already forgotten about it. Um, <laughs> but but, I, but I, think, I think having the conversation, if, if when, when you have the conversation, people are more willing to listen and think about it now than, than they were prior to this happening. Yeah. When you say you should be thinking about energy independence. They're like, hmm, maybe I should be thinking about that. It, whereas, you know, last year you just said that and they'd have been, like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Why, why would I care about that? Now at least they understand uh, and they've seen firsthand because most of us have to experience things to, to really understand them because um, we're, we're stubborn. Uh, and, and so now people have seen it and, and so you have that conversation and they're like, okay, that makes sense. Um, explain it to me. How does that work? How can I do that? And, and so those are fun conversations to have. Really cool, awesome, Joey. This has been uh, this has been great. You know, I um, I love the fact that you know I talked to both you and Gary, and uh, I saw different uh, aspects of this uh, for the audience. Uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't record Gary's segment. Uh, we had some technical difficulties, but um, I really like this project. I really like the ideas you have behind this. One, you're talking about you know DeFi. You know how do we uh, allow more people to participate in in, in in investing and especially real estate investing. You know, twenty being an entry fee being twenty dollars, that's amazing. 
Uh, and then the second side, you know, energy efficient housing, modular homes, becoming more, uh, b- b- bringing some efficiency into constructions. Uh, you know, it's a it's a very uh, ambitious project you guys are working on. You're working on two, you know, bringing like you're colliding two major um, aspects of uh, what people are really interested in, what uh, uh, in our economy, and uh, bring it together into a wonderful project. So, uh, kudos to you guys, and uh, really looking forward to seeing how it develops. Uh, would love to have you uh, have you or Gary or uh, another your other co-founder on in, a, in about six months and get some updates about what's going on and uh, how people can participate. I'd love to do it. It's it's fun. It's a fun project to work on because it's that's the way I see it exactly like you described it. I mean, we're bringing two very important elements to, together into to one. And from my perspective, it's going to take a lot of education for for people to understand why why should I invest in this. So people that are more investment savvy are are going to get it probably faster than those that aren't. Um, but that's what I spent my career doing in the investment world is uh, my whole philosophy was giving people the information they need so that they can make educated decisions for themselves because most of us don't find financial information on our own. It, it's, it, it takes a lot of time to figure all that stuff out, and we're busy just on our day-to-day grind just making sure the bills get paid. So helping people see the, the bigger picture and understand how it can help them uh, is, is part of part of the objective, uh, but then doing it with something that can really impact the, the globe and and reduce carbon emissions and and feed back to grids. Energy is a is an ongoing problem. Um, you know, we look at the we learn from the Texas experience. From my perspective, I, I think trying to to look at one particular energy source is is problematic. Um, we we saw in Texas that that all of the wind we Texas produces 20% of their energy, 23% of their energy from uh, from green energy. So wind energy and, and solar. And 100% of that, that green energy was knocked out. It was out of commission because the solar panels were under ice and the wind turbines were frozen and, and couldn't turn. So they, it, it totally stopped production. So while on one hand the green is positive and that's a good thing, relying on only one, one type of energy production is probably is problematic. So that's something that we should really consider is that diversity. And while we want to reduce carbon, emissions, we need to be conscious of, of the long-term effects of all these decisions that we're making today. Uh, not just looking at today, but looking at, at, at generations to come and, and providing a better world for those that come after us. Amazing. Perfect. I love this project so much. Um, definitely, um, let's let's reconnect in about six months and love to get some updates uh, uh, from love you. Love to do it. Yeah, Joy, thank you so much it. for coming on the show. Ravi, it's a pleasure. Perfect. So uh, stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. And for everyone who tuned in, thank you. See ya.